Welcome to Faith Fellowship. My name is David Blackburn. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Good to have you with us today. Let's pray, okay? Lord God, we're so grateful that hope was born that night, some 2,000 years ago. Thank you for Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Lord, as we enter into this new year, we offer our lives to you afresh, and we just ask that uh, you would do the work in us that needs to be done. Lord, we thank you that there is hope in Jesus each and every day. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Does anyone want to guess what this is on the screens? I heard mostly female voices. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, it was fairly common for a girl to, to have one of these in a room in her house. Could have been a bedroom. It could have been one other room. And, but uh, yeah, it's a hope chest. They were also called cedar chests. They were lined with cedar. Also, a dowry chest. Now, Wikipedia says a hope chest is a chest used to collect items such as clothing and household linens by unmarried women in anticipation of married life. So, do we have any unmarried women that have one of these at home? But does anyone have one of these? In an attic somewhere? Did anyone ever have one? Any of you ladies ever have one of these? I believe we could say that a hope chest is a place where you put the things that express what you're longing for and hoping for. You know, it's a wonderful thing to have hope. In fact, Paul writes this about hope. Let your hope make you glad. Something about hope makes us glad. And the truth is, all of us have a hope chest somewhere. A place where we store our hopes and our dreams. Christmas, I believe, is the season of hope. You know, we hope our loved ones are going to make it home for the celebration. We hope for just that right present to purchase for our special someone. We hope there will be not only peace in our families, but peace on earth. Human beings are creatures of hope. Why else would people buy thigh masters? <laughs> or DVDs entitled Eight Minute Abs. I'll tell you one thing, I've worked a lot longer than eight minutes to get these abs. Hope is why children tear through the Christmas wrapping on a present. Hope is why entrepreneurs start businesses. Hope is why some people are Cubs fans. A low shot in this. Oh my. It's all downhill from there. All of us have hopes. And we have a place where we put those hopes. And today I'm wondering, what chest have you put your hope in? Maybe you've put your hope in a chest labeled money and financial security. You know, you think to yourself, once I have enough money and I'm financially secure, it won't matter what problems come my way. 
Because everything's going to be okay because I'm going to have enough. But you know what many found out in the uncertain economic times that we've weathered these last few years? Their hope was in the wrong chest. Real estate values, stock portfolios can go down as fast as they go up. But there are some of you in here that haven't been hit so hard by those scenarios. And in fact, you have more money today than you've ever had in your life. But in spite of that, you wonder if you didn't put your hope in the wrong chest. Other people have put their hope in the chest labeled achievement. You chased your dream. You got the right education. Then came the job and later the position that you always wanted. And that's your place of employment. You're known as a high achievement individual. But for some reason, all of this hasn't brought the inner satisfaction that you thought it would. And you wonder if you put your hope in the wrong chest. Some people know what, know what it is to put their hope in the chest marked relationships. Their goal is to find the right person and, and fall in love. And you went on a search for the right person, but when you found him or her, you didn't experience the happiness that you longed for. So you assumed you found the wrong right person. And you went searching for the right right person. And maybe now you've been to two, three, or more wrong right persons. And after several broken relationships, maybe, maybe a broken marriage or two, you say, maybe my hope was in the wrong chest. Today's the last message in our series, Making Room. And the scripture passage that we're going to look at may seem strange to you for this time of year. But I want to use it to talk about making room for hope in our lives. Whether it's Christmas or summer or any other season or time of year. On the morning of his resurrection, we find two of Jesus' followers heading home from Jerusalem. The events of the past few days hadn't gone the way they planned. In Luke 24, we find them walking down a road, losing hope every step of the way. It's one of the most famous walks in the Bible. We know it as the walk to Emmaus. Follow along. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Do you know what seven miles means in the Greek? It means seven miles. You got a nice little trivia question there. You know how long it takes the average person to walk about seven miles? We have any walkers? A few out there. 
They say the average person could walk about three and a half miles an hour. So all you mathematicians, how long would it take to walk seven miles? Boy, you're a sharp bunch this morning. And as the two were walking along and talking about all that had happened, Jesus just kind of comes up to them and inserts himself into the conversation, but they don't know it's him. I don't know if you've heard of this condition, but it's called face blindness. Saw an article on 60 Minutes last year about it. It's the most common neurological impairment in people. It's estimated that nearly 8 million Americans have this condition. People who have face blindness can recognize ordinary objects around them, but they can't recognize the faces of people they've known all their lives. Their parents, their children, their spouses. So these Christ followers on the road to Emmaus have a form of face blindness of some kind because they're unable to recognize the one that they're walking with and talking about. They don't know it's Jesus. These are two very discouraged people who are taking this seven-mile walk back home from the capital city of Jerusalem. You see, they thought Jesus was the promised Messiah who was going to deliver them from the Roman oppression. But he's been crucified, dead, and put in a tomb. They're tired of Roman soldiers in their streets. They're tired of the Roman taxes, the outrageous taxes that they had to pay. They thought Jesus was going to be the one who was going to change all that and who would finally set them free. So Jesus, who they didn't recognize, asked them a question. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? In other words, Cleopas asked him, Mr., you know, what planet are you from? The crucifixion of Jesus was already such a well-known event throughout Jerusalem that they were shocked that he seemed not to know anything about it. So Jesus goes on. What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. I want you to focus on four words on that screen. And you probably know which one we're going to look at. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. What are these two saying? In essence, they're saying, we placed our hope in one chest. But apparently, it was the wrong one. 
You know, it must be wrong because things haven't turned out the way that we planned. We put our hope in Jesus, but now he's dead. My guess is that everyone in this room has made a but-we-had-hoped statement at some time in your life. But we had hoped the company layoffs wouldn't reach our seniority level. But we had hoped we could have a baby. But we had hoped we'd seen the last of cancer in our family. But we had hoped our son, our daughter, was finally getting their act together. But we had hoped our marriage was going to last till death do us part. You see, there are probably as many, but we had hope statements in this room as there are people. But we had hoped. These two followers are devastated because they don't know exactly what's going on. They've heard rumors and speculations about talking angels and an empty tomb and and Jesus' body actually being lost. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. It was all more than they could comprehend. And no wonder a previous scripture that we read said they were downcast. Some translations say they looked sad and gloomy. So how does Jesus respond to them? Does he say, you know, I sense your pain here. I know you're going through a tough time, so let me say a prayer for you. That's not what he said. How's this for a tender, loving response? He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus did a little teaching while the three of them walked the seven miles. Question, how much time did Jesus have to give this sermon? Seven miles takes how long? (laughs) Two hours. Slow, short memory for some of you in here. Well, you know, I was thinking you should be very grateful as a congregation that the pastors here don't use Jesus as a model in the length of their messages and sermons. Amen? It's one good thing. We don't know exactly what Jesus talked about during that walk, but we do know that in verse 27, it says, He explained what was said in all the scriptures of the day concerning himself. In other words... He talked about himself. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be in a conversation with someone 
only talks about themselves. You like that? But on that day, it would have been different. And I would have loved to have heard what God in the flesh said about himself using the Old Testament scriptures. When they got to their home in Emmaus, the two followers and some Bible scholars believe this was a husband and wife, Cleopas and his wife. We don't know. But they invited the stranger to stay overnight because it was getting late. And Luke lets us know that Jesus took them up on their offer of hospitality. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The next verse tells us how these two reacted to what had just happened and this supernatural disappearing act of Jesus. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. As soon as Jesus was revealed to them, these two followers of his headed the seven miles back to Jerusalem. It was a much different walk than the earlier one, and I can only imagine what was going through their minds. You see, hope had been rekindled in their hearts. Hope was now alive. Every one of us this morning are on a journey. Some of us may be traveling a road that looks like the road to Emmaus. It's the road of disappointment. It's the road of broken dreams. Life hasn't turned out the way you planned. And hope for you is a very distant memory. When you travel a road, there are two ways you can look at that road. You can look backward over your shoulder at the road behind, or you can look forward to the road ahead. Some of you on this last Sunday of the year are kind of looking back at your life, looking back at 2013. Others of you, you're already focused, looking ahead on the road, and it looks hard, it looks difficult, and you're not sure how you're even going to make it in 2014. Hope is anything but alive in your heart. Well, this verse is my late Christmas gift to you. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. All you, read it with me, who hope in the Lord. I love that verse. The psalmist, the writer here says, there's a direct correlation between action and results. When we place our hope in the Lord, we can trust Him to strengthen our hearts, which here means our spirits, our inner being. 
I believe one of the reasons the two followers on the road to Emmaus are so down and discouraged is they're feeling like failures. They're full of regret over their recent actions. In the aftermath of Jesus' arrest and the trial and crucifixion, they had abandoned him. They weren't the only ones. They all abandoned him. And they had turned their back on the one that they claimed to love. There's a book entitled Identity Theft. And it tells how people are concerned about someone accessing their personal information, such as credit card numbers and financial data, in order to steal their, their identity. Anybody got a Target red card? Having this happen to us is a legitimate concern. But the author contends there's a worse kind of identity theft. One of the chapters in the book is entitled, Mugged by the Mirror. Being mugged by the mirror is when you live your life with a distorted or damaged self-identity because of your past. The truth of the matter is, many of us feel defined by our past. We feel the events and the circumstances And the mistakes that we made then define who we are now. We've been mugged by the mirror. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? What's your identity? Some of you may have grown up in homes where you heard words that devalued you and hurt you emotionally. Words that damaged your sense of worth. Words like, you know, you're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. Some people here may carry shame over things that you've done in your past. It still haunts you. Well, I want you to read this scripture verse with me from 1 Peter. Let's read it together. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice that phrase, new birth. That's not referring to reincarnation or some weird new age teaching. Peter's talking about what happens when someone becomes a follower of Jesus. A person who's made room in their heart for him. You experience a new birth when you're born again spiritually. And when that happens, we receive a new identity. And we begin to understand that our past doesn't define us. We come to learn the great truth that who we belong to defines us. John writes, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. When the Father's love comes to us through our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, we belong instantly to God. And we become His valued sons and daughters. 
God defined our worth to him when he paid for the ultimate price of having his son die on the cross for our sins. That baby that we've celebrated during this Christmas season, born in the manger some 2,000 years ago, that baby was destined for the cross. He had a date with death in order that he might forgive the sins of all who would come to him. The sins of all those who would make room in their hearts for him. You see, the angel predicted it when he said this to Joseph in a dream. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will what? Save his people from their sins. No matter what our past has been, or how we've been mugged by the mirror, we don't have to be defined by these things. When we get our hope in the right chest, the saving grace of Jesus through repentance of our sins, we become new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. A new hope, a new identity, and a new future. Well, many of you aren't looking back down the road of your life right now, but you're the ones who are looking at the road in front of you. The circumstances of your life haven't turned out the way you planned and hoped for. And what you need is a transformed perspective on your circumstances. You need to see your current situation through a different set of lenses. And you need to open your mind today to the fact that hope is a possible alternative for you. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 9.4. Anyone who was among the living has hope. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think I'm still alive. And if they don't do that, reach over and make sure they check their pulse, will you? If you're alive this morning at this particular time, then there's hope for you. The two followers of Jesus needed hope for their circumstances. And it's amazing to me how some time spent with Jesus changed their perspective on what they thought was a hopeless situation. Ephesians 4.23 says, Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Many people have an attitude in their minds that is a destructive attitude because it says something like this. Their self-talk says, you know, my discouraging circumstances, they're going to last forever, so there's no hope for me. And I'm sure that if we went around this room, there's been some time in your life, maybe even in 2013, you found yourself thinking that way. And I think this hopeless attitude was the mindset of the two on the road to Emmaus. They didn't see their future getting any better. And thus there wasn't any hope for them. At least that's what they thought. But now, reading this story, we know that everything changed for them in just a few hours' time spent with Jesus. You get the theme here, spent with Jesus? 
Those of you who've grieved the death of someone very close to you or, or you've gone through a divorce, you remember there was a time when it seemed like nothing would ever be better again. In the 14th century, Geoffrey Chaucer, known as the father of English literature, he wrote this. Time heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds. I read an interesting blog from a woman who had been in a devastating auto accident when she was 19 years of age. But years later, she still lives with physical and emotional scars from the accident. And I want to read a portion of that blog to you, very brief, that she wrote about this concept of time and healing. She said, time doesn't heal our wounds, but healing takes time. It's what we do in that time that brings or blocks the healing. We can fall back on our quick fix coping skills, or we can lean forward on God and ask Him to guide us through the hard work of acknowledging and forgiving and repenting and accepting and making amends in His time. It takes more than just the measurement of time, days, weeks, months, and years. It takes God's help to heal our wounds in life. As one who's known some of life's wounds, let me encourage you to have hope that God plus time does equal healing. It's happened for me. It's happened for millions of other Christ followers. Jeremiah referenced time and hope with this passage. He said, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Those Christ followers on the road to Emmaus had lost their hope. And they said to this stranger walking with them, but we had hoped that He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What they didn't understand, they were staring their hope right in the face. Some of you feel like life hasn't turned out the way you planned. You look at the current circumstances in your life and and you just want to give up. You want to throw in the towel. But because of the living hope, Jesus Christ, you can get a new identity... And you can have a new perspective on your life starting today. And when that happens, you will realize how close you are to experiencing hope once again. In 1868, the pastor of the Church of the Holy Trinity in Philadelphia wrote the lyrics to one of the most beloved Christmas carols of all time. Pastor Brooks was inspired by his visit three years earlier to the little village of Bethlehem. The, final stan- or excuse me, the first stanza of the carol ends with this classic line. The hopes, read it, sing it with me, and fears. 
was met, are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. How many saying that at least once during this Christmas season? Pastor Brooks knew his Bible. He knew the Christmas story about the birth of Jesus in a stable, a little village called Bethlehem. He also knew this baby was not only the hope for all those alive in the world at his birth, but he would be the hope for all people that were to come. The last stanza of the carol tells how each person can make that hope a personal one and have it become available to them personally. It says, cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. For us to have him born in us requires that we make room in our hearts for him. When we say yes to Jesus and and we tell him we're making room for him, then he will cast out our sin and he will enter in. You know, someone here may want to make room in their hearts for Jesus this very moment, this very day. And they'll, by doing so, putting their hope in the right chest. And if that's you this morning and you only listen but you don't respond, then you've stopped at mile marker number six. What's so great about the seven-mile miracle and the two followers on the road to Emmaus is that at the end of their journey, it actually represented the beginning of another one, their journey with the risen Christ. December 29, 2013, could mark the beginning of a new faith walk journey with Jesus Christ for you. If you've never put your hope in the right chest, you've never made room in your heart for Jesus, this could be your day. This could be your day. You know, you could pray something like this. God, I don't fully understand it all, but I realize you're offering me hope today through your son, Jesus Christ. And right now, I accept that offer of hope. Please forgive my sins and and make me one of your children. Give me a new identity, Jesus. I ask you to come into my life. I make room in my heart for you. And I want to follow you now and forever. Now I know that the majority of you, maybe all of you, have already made this decision and you're a follower of Christ. Thank God for that. And you could pray something like this on the last Sunday that we will meet in 2013 in this place. You could pray something like this. You know, Father, today I again understand that you are the hope of the world and that you are the only hope of my life. Thank you for opening my spiritual eyes and and saving me. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who's my hope now and my hope forever. Amen. Hope. 
It's found in Christ. Put your hope in the right chest today. I'm going to pray. The band's going to sing. Go tell it on the mountain. And then if you want to come forward for prayer, we're going to have prayer teams on either side of the front here. I invite you to come forward. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful at this Christmas season that we've been reminded of Jesus Christ's purpose. It wasn't just to be born a baby and to lay in that stable for all eternity. No, he grew up. He lived that sinless life. He went to the cross and he took my sins and and the sins of all those before me upon himself. That we might know forgiveness of sins in this life and have hope for the next life to come. A hope that will live with him eternity, eternally. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. He is our hope. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that's discouraged and despondent and feels like hope has passed them by. I pray today that they would put their hope in the right chest, their hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, you are our hope today and forever. And we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.